Good morning. I'm Pastor Mark. I'm glad to be here. Um, Pastor Stephanie, my wife, is gone th- uh, this morning. She just, she's driving to the airport probably right now to go to the Midwinter Conference. And so that's the national, our national denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, has kind of a time of refreshing education and connection for pastors um, in the middle of winter that they call Midwinter, and it's in Chicago. They always get... Um, you know, pastors' rates on on big motels and conference centers that nobody wants because they're too cold or too hot. In June, we have a meeting coming up in Phoenix, so (laughs) this is our strategy. Um, So um, uh, Pastor Stephanie and Pastor Jaron are there, and they're going. And so so be in prayer for them. The, The time really is refreshing and helpful and beneficial to them. And, um, and pray for me and the boys. We always miss uh, Stephanie when she's gone, um, but, but we'll have fun. Um, we are in the, in the middle. We're actually towards the end of a sermon series that goes through some values uh, that leadership and other leaders... Oh, I guess I turned this on, too. Um, the that we, we prayed about, uh, we discerned together, and we felt like God was leading us in to, to living into these biblically rooted values for our community. Um, and, and the big words there are belonging and becoming, that we would know as a church, that we would live into the fact that we belong, just like Lynette was saying, that we belong to God and that we belong among God's people. Um, and also that we're called to become, uh, that God, uh, there's a lot wrong with the world around us that's pretty evident. There's a lot wrong even in us, that God's calling us to become new creations, even more like the people that he's created us to be, that he's not done with us yet, and he's bringing us into a new reality that's fully redeemed, that's better, and that's eternal. So we're belonging and we're becoming. And the, and the way we see those being lived out specifically in our community, these are a little small, but there's intergenerational. So we're a church uh, of belonging where you belong not uh, just in a little group of, hey, we come together and I just get together with, you know, single young adults from the ages of 20 to 23, right? Uh, those are the only people I know. And it's great to have connections with people that have similarities, but we feel like God is really building this community where it's not just there's lots of generations here, but that we're intergenerationally investing, growing, benefiting from each other. Uh, multi-ethnic is another one that's similar, that we're not a church that is, is monocultural or monoethnic, but that when God says that there will be a people of all tongues and tribes and nations, that that builds us up, that that's good. That's the, that's the end. That's where the kingdom of God is headed towards. And so we want to continue to honor that and bring voices in that reflect God's multi-ethnic kingdom. Uh, we're genuine. That means that we can come as we are. We don't have to put on a front. Uh, that, that we have integrity enough to be vulnerable with each other, to let each other into those places where we have needs and need for growth. Uh, that we're courageous, uh, that we're contemplative, 
Uh, we did those last two in the last little bit. I spent more time on the first three. Um, but this last one is that we love mercy and do justice. Love mercy and do justice. Uh, this is a formulation for that, um, that our national church has used. Actually, the Evangelical Covenant Church has a department called Love, Mercy, Do Justice. And, and it's a way of, in some ways, filling in some gaps in, in our evangelical church's movement. It's, it's, a, it's a new branch of our denomination. And one of the things that, that the Covenant Church realized is there was a lot of focus on, on personal spirituality, on theology that has to do with just individuals and people. But this love, mercy, and do justice, which is drawn from the book of Micah that we're going to get into today, has to do a little bit more with our social responsibility. With what, what, does, uh, what does the kingdom of God look like and how we interact not just in our church, uh, not just in our personal worship of God, but in a worship of God that affects our neighbors. In a worship of God that reflects God's values uh, and even prioritization of the poor and marginalized. Uh, that reflects the kind of community that God's bringing us into. Uh, so today we're going to talk about love justice and do mercy. I got a new microphone that's a little bit sensitive, um, but it might not pop like the one did last week. Uh, so we're going to be going from the book of Micah, uh, and this is the this is the text of Micah six eight where that phrase "love mercy and do justice" comes from. There we go. A little bit. Um, Micah 6.8 is one of these pinnacle texts. And as I was preparing for this sermon, I reread Micah. Uh, and I realized that, um, that the, in the book of Micah, like this one verse is really the center kind of turning point of that text. And this text, in some ways, is, is a center and turning point of kind of biblical ethics in general. So a lot of us are familiar with the, the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Micah 6.8 kind of ranks up with that as far as this really concise definition of what it means to be human, of what it means to be a human created God's, in God's image and in the story of Scripture. So this is, this is how it reads, and I have some words in Hebrew there. That's not just um, garbly gook. Um, so we'll, we're, as we go, I, I really want to kind of take a deep dive into this text, um, and so I'll be highlighting some things as we go through. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. The word of the Lord, the word of Scripture, is eternal truth, written um, 
by human hands. Uh, the Word of God, our Scripture, the Bible that we have, um, is, is different than a lot of other holy books. A lot of other uh, holy books of different religions uh, claim to have been dictated by God. Uh, or even the, the actual copy of that book was like handed to, to the prophet, and then the prophet just writes it down. So it's just the word of God. But the, the inspiration of Scripture is the word of God filtered through people, filtered through um, the personality, the historical reality, the local uh, things that are going on, and it's expressed through people, and it's expressed not through one prophet who was the one person who saw God, but through a community of people, uh, through a bunch of people. There are 64 books of the Bible. I forget how many authors, but there's a lot of, a lot of human authors. So we see that uh, the scripture, as we interpret it, is the word of God, the eternal word of God, that's written into embodied in cultures. It's embodied in people during time and space. And it's embodied in a story. Uh, and so sometimes I use this slide um, that just a review of the story of God and where Micah fits in. The big story of the Bible is that, that Genesis 1, like uh, Dr. Barber was teaching us yesterday, Genesis 1, that God created the world good. That there's damage caused by sin, and the consequence of that is death. And then you come up a little bit farther, and God creates something new. God creates this nation of Israel uh, and gives them God's law, gives them what, what would set them up in their particular time and place to reflect God's goodness anew in the world. Um, but again... Even that nation, even after God comes back in in that attempt to redeem creation, uh, even that nation disobeys God's law and commandments until so there's sin again. And the, and the nation of Israel goes into exile, uh, which is another form of kind of death, biblically speaking. And then you have Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, where there was always this promise that God is bigger than our sin, that God's love is bigger than the damage that we do to ourselves, to each other, to our world, and that God will restore. So there's these consequences temporarily. There's these consequences for the time. But the big story is that God will restore. And God does that through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And then we're in this time between the times where Jesus has accomplished it, uh, and when Jesus returns, that would be at the kingdom of heaven, that there will be this new reality that reflects God's goodness, that brings us back to the way that God created it to be. And Micah is a prophet, and so the prophets generally are right there in between the covenant of Israel um, and the nation has fallen away from the true worship of God in a bunch of ways, and the prophets come with God's word to a people that was supposed to reflect God's goodness, but that's gone astray and that's headed for exile. They're headed for those temporal consequences. Do we understand where we are in, in the Bible? Okay. I feel like no one ever taught me that when I was a kid, so, um, so I, like to, I like us to refresh.
he has shown you, O oh mortal, what is good. Um, in the big story of Scripture, God has shown us, O oh mortal, what is good. And the word for mortal there, uh, the Hebrew word, which would be backwards if you read Hebrew, uh, is Adam, Adam. He has shown you Adam. It, it harkens back to the very beginning. And he has shown you, Adam, what is good. If you remember uh, in the first chapter of the book of Genesis, over and over again, God created, you know, separated the light from the darkness, and it was good. God parted the water so that there would be land, so there's a place to stand out of the chaos of darkness and water and undifferentiated darkness and light, whatever that is, right? God, out of all the chaos and, and the no place to stand, God created a place, and it was good. And God filled it with plants and with people, and that was good. It's good over and over again. He has shown you Adam. He's shown you the general sense, right? Adam was used for that, all humanity, right? And even in the New Testament, Scripture talks about Jesus as the second Adam. There's this new, new human, this new humanity that's coming about through Jesus. But he's shown you people, people who were created, Genesis 1 people, people who were created good in a good place, He's shown you what is good. At creation, God made, uh, if you you think back to this story, we're not going to get super deep into it, but God created from an inhospitable place, a place for humans to thrive, to be in harmony with each other, to be in harmony with God, with the animals, and with the land. If you'll remember back in uh, Genesis 1 and 2, that, that God made this garden for people to live in, and he just put them in the garden. And he gave them some tasks to, to tend it, and to be fruitful and multiply, and they had everything they needed to do that. In the beginning... God created people and put them in a land that they didn't earn, that they didn't deserve necessarily. He created a place for human thriving with all the means and resources to do that. He has shown you, oh man, what is good. With communion with God, with uninterrupted communion with God, and with another person. It was a big deal. Adam was all alone, the story goes. All alone. And God said, it's not good for you to be alone. We need another person. We're designed to be in relationship with each other. He's shown you, and I'm going to skip around here a little bit in the text. He's shown you, Adam, what is good, what is toe, to walk humbly with your God. So the three instructions here, there's... Here, I'll go back just a second. So right, we have 
to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Uh, sometimes we see these as a list of three very different things. But actually what's going on is it's, a, it's um, kind of a zooming out. So it's a zooming from something that's very concrete to something that's more general. So first, to act justly are these very concrete actions. This is what it looks like. To love mercy is kind of a little bit more abstract. It has to do with our affections, what we're geared towards, what we care about. And then to walk humbly with our God kind of comes to this holistic relationship with God. So he's shown you what is good to walk humbly with your God. And what comes to mind uh, immediately for me, and I think probably came to mind in the original context, was Genesis 3, 8, and 9. This is after sin and the fall, and there's a brokenness in what was created to be good. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to man, where are you? Where are you? God is walking in the garden, and he's supposed to be walking with the people he's created. And that's what uh, Micah says, to walk humbly with your God. We're supposed to be walking with the God who's created us. Humbly, knowing like God's, you know, we're God's God, we're not equals, right? But, but we're supposed to be walking with him. And, th- and then when this brokenness happens, uh, when... Adam and Eve have turned their back on God um, and turned away from their source of life, there's this consequence. They're not walking with God. Where are you? He's shown you what is good. When we look at Scripture, uh, we kind of go go contextually. So we've done some work on the big context. Um, did I miss something? Okay. We've done some work on the, the big context, right? All of scripture, where does this fit in? Um, and then we want to do some work on the immediate context. So, so our tendency might be, oh, I'm going to take a verse that sounds really good. I'm going to put it up on my mirror, which is great to remember the truth of scripture. But to say, oh, what is, what is it? What if we want to know what it's actually saying? We look before and after, right? At least a few verses. Uh, so what's going on immediately before uh, and in this, con- this picture of the big picture of what's going on in scripture uh, is that oh no. I was off. I don't have that one. No, we're good though. I can read it. What's going on in the context before is that, the, that Micah has been prophesying. He's been saying, this is how the nation of Israel has fallen, right? You're supposed to be what God's made you to be, this restoration of all that's good, um, but we're blowing it as a community. And he's listing off the ways that they're blowing it, and then he's saying what the consequences are. So that's kind of what prophecy generally is um, when it's about Israel. Sometimes it's about other nations, too. Um, But it's saying, this is what's way off, and this is where it's headed. It's headed towards exile and destruction. And then 
uh, he kind of, Micah takes the voice of the people uh, who say, I just want to, let's get out of the consequence part. Have you ever been caught doing something and you're just like, oh, I'll do whatever you want, right? Like, let's just not go to the consequence part. So that's what, um, that's the voice that, that Micah takes here. And he said, and he, he pictures the people saying, with what shall I come before the Lord and da- bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? Thousands of rams. With 10,000 rivers of oil? I don't know. These people have 10,000 rivers of oil. Um, shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression? Right? Like, give over my firstborn kid. What can I do to get out of this exile? We'll give you anything, God. We'll give you whatever you want. The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul, it goes on. And that's where Micah 6 8 comes. No, no, no. He's shown you. But our tendency as we deal with God uh, is actually the tendency, the the very human form. of idolatry, uh, and idolatry in the na- ancient Near East um, was, I'm just going to read from uh, one of my Old Testament professors, Doug Stewart, talks about what idolatry was in the ancient Near East, and I think this helps give us a picture of what's going on. He says, idolatry was an entire materialistic system of thinking and behavior, sometimes called the fertility cult, built on the idea that the gods could do virtually anything but feed themselves. You got that? So in the ancient Near East, there, you know, there's all these worship of, of all kinds of gods. There's gods everywhere. And the basic idea is that these gods can do anything in nature or for you, but the one thing they can't do is feed themselves. So if you don't do your part, they're going to starve. The one sort of hold or advantage that humans had over the gods was the ability to feed them. Aha, we've got a solution. Accordingly, it was felt that if one fed a given god, that god was in turn obligated to use his power on behalf of the feeder worshiper. Not much else was required. If you fed a god adequately and regularly, that god would in quid pro quo fashion bless you in return with abundance of crops, fertility, and cattle. Quid pro quo. He wrote that a long time ago. That's just there. It's not about this thing. Although it may not be entirely irrelevant. Um, So, so do you get that? The the idea of that, of, of the idolatrous form of worship was Basically, these gods don't really care what I do except feed them. And I give them something, and then they give me something in return. I give them something, and they give me something in return. And and it's very materialistic, and it has nothing to do with ethics. And what God is calling the people of Israel true through the prophet Micah, when they get that way, when they're like, oh my goodness, We don't like the material stuff that's happening. We don't like how our fortunes have turned. Like, we're just going to give you something and you'll give us something back, right? And and God says through the prophet Micah, that's not what it's all about. That's not what God created us for relationship with God to be. 
Or, man, if I just show up to church every Sunday and I read my Bible, then I know that I'm going to live a long life and my kids are going to turn out fine and everything's going to be, you know, like, that's not it. Like, if I put enough in the offering, then I'll get enough back, right? Uh, if, I, if I do my part, then I'm owed something. But Micah says, he's shown you what's good. He's shown you what's good. And that true worship that what is good isn't quid pro quo spirituality, but it's an imitation of God's character. It's an imitation of God's character and values and principles. It's not about putting on the right spiritual label uh, so that we get what we want. And then Micah goes on, he's shown you what is good to act justly. Another translation is to do justice. Uh, The Hebrew word is misbat. I don't know how my pronunciation is. Uh, To do justice. And the, the context of this in Micah is that Micah's just been going on uh, kind of these cycles of, this is what you've done wrong, this is going to be the consequence, and it comes around, but God is, still has a plan of restoration. So when we look at what, what the nation has done wrong, we get a better sense of what justice is, of what misfot is. In Micah 2, 1 through 2, it says, Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil, on their beds. At morning's light, they carry it out because it is in their power to do it. Do you get that? At morning's light, they carry it out because it's in their power to do it. It's all just about power and might makes right. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them. They defraud people of their homes. They rob them of their inheritance. God showed us what was good when he put Adam and Eve in a garden with a job, with everything they needed to thrive and grow. But what's iniquity, what's the opposite of justice, is to take the land of the people who need it. So the, the Hebrew system of land, the, the law that God set up in this kind of agrarian society was when Israel came into the land, there was this big division of land by families. And the idea was that it's equal and that every family has their equal set of land. And the land in the ancient world, uh, was, it was always understood to be God's, right, uh, for the people of God. It was always understood it's God's land, but I'm to, to use this and tend to it, right, just like in the garden. And that is not just... Like land, we think of like our house, but land was a job. Like the, the main job is using land to be productive. And so people were guaranteed a place to be, and they were guaranteed a, pl- a way to be productive. Uh, we have a phrase in America saying, like, pulled up by your own bootstraps. Pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps. Or, uh, but I think even 
Dr. Leroy talked about uh, some of us don't have bootstraps, right? It's cruel to tell somebody to pull, pull themselves up by their own bootstraps when they don't have any bootstraps. It's cruel to tell somebody to be productive uh, when they don't have land, when they're in a state of slavery. And so the, the system of land was that the, the families get the, get the land, and you could make some bad choices. You could end up selling your land, but there was a year of jubilee that was coming. You could be unproductive and lazy, but after 50 years, if you didn't have your land, your family's land anymore, there was a year of jubilee that was going to come, and you would just get that land back. Uh, the system set up in the Hebrew scriptures, the system set up in God's law to Israel, understood that without any checks, that wealth and productivity would just always flow to the top. It would always flow to the very tippy top of the people who had the most and were the most powerful, and everybody else would just be those people's servants, right? And so there was this check on that, that the land is going to be distributed evenly, and it's never going to get too far away from that. There was this redistribution every 50 years. So when, when Micah talks about you covet fields and seize them and houses and take them, that's injustice that may have been done in legal means. The stealing of the land, according to Scripture, didn't have to just be about, yeah, I'm just going to come and take it or I'm just going to like move the boundary mark, or I'm going to do something that's obviously unjust. But it would also be seen as taking advantage of a poor farmer. Uh, usury was seen as a sin, charging absorbent interest. Uh, you're instead supposed to loan, uh, loan somebody just so that they, because you knew it was the right thing to do, not to make money for yourself. Another thing, uh, another context of injustice in Micah. Am I still to forget your ill-gotten treasures, your wicked house, and the short epoth, epa, probably, which is accursed? Shall I acquit someone with dishonest scales, with a bag of false weights? Your rich people are violent. Your inhabitants are liars, and their tongues speak deceitfully. This is more of what's going on, that, that those who had the power to, to control the market forces would tilt the scales in their favor. Uh, and there were kind of price controls also that were the, the custom, too. Hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice, who distort what is right, who build Zion with bloodshed, and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they look for the Lord's support and say, is not the Lord among, among us? No disaster will come upon us. This idea, oh, because we are called God's people, because I call myself a Christian, then, then obviously I have God's favor. Uh, and it doesn't really matter if, if I just judge based on what I think is going to get me the most, uh, if as a pastor, if I preach what I think is going to fill the offering plate, right? If as um, a larger church body, if we 
change our teaching, our judgment of right and wrong in order to get political favors from those in power, right? I think we see this sometimes in the evangelical church movement uh, where, where we um, are easier on people that we think hold our values uh, and won't hold into account the people that we think are going to give us something politically, um, you know, and that's and that's a deal in um, in Christian churches. There's tax breaks that we get on our land that we can be afraid are going to go away. Um, there's a lot of different things that are priorities um, that that can align us to not point out the evil that we see because we want the quo, right? We want the quid pro quo. Like, I'm going to teach what's, what's helpful to get me that thing that I want. But scripture says that's a perversion of what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to, to do justice. We're supposed to do justice wherever we are and whatever it takes. So I'm kind of laying the biblical framework, but I think the, the applicational framework is what does that look like going from Micah's context? We talked a lot about Micah's context in the ancient Near East, but what does that look like here? What are, the, what are the points that we make there? And I'll touch on it a little bit, but um, Pastor Stephanie will be doing more of kind of the fruit. Like, how do we see that happen in our community? What does justice look like in our community? He's shown you, Adam, what is good to do justice and to love mercy. Uh, the word for mercy here is hesed, which is this great biblical word, the eternal loving kindness of God. And it's particularly rooted in God's keeping of covenant promises to God's people. It's particularly rooted in the, the story that I put up at the very beginning, that no matter how many consequences there are, no matter how much destruction, God is going to forgive and restore and God's going to bring that restoration. This is kind of the big declaration where Moses begs God, I'm gonna, I want to see you, I want to see your glory. And God reveals God's self to Moses. He says, the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord, Yahweh. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to the thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Isn't that it? This is that picture of justice and mercy that we've been talking about that's, that's in Micah. It's kind of hard to get at um, when we just think in really abstract or propositional terms. Sometimes it seems like you could either be just, right? There's either the consequences are the consequences, and that's the way it is, or there's mercy, that the consequences can somehow be forgiven, that restoration can some, somehow happen. But when we come to the person of God, this personal God who created us, there's both. There's this seemingly incompatible, full embrace of mercy and of justice. And emulating that is what Micah is saying that we're supposed to do. 
in the book of Micah, uh, God's having Micah prophesy, look, this is what you're doing wrong. You're exploiting the poor. You're oppressive. You're worshiping idols. Don't do it. Stop it. But after that, he says, there's going to be a consequence. You're going to go into exile. But then he says, I will surely gather all of you, Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I'll bring them together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. The place will throng with people. The one who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass through before them. The Lord at their head. In Micah 4.1, In the last days, the mountains of the Lord's temple will be established. He will teach us his ways. Here's that word again. So that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He'll judge between the people. He'll settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree. That's, again, that, that relationship with the land, with property. Everyone has what they need. Everything has what they need to be protected, uh, productive and to be sheltered. And no one will make them afraid, for the Lord God Almighty has spoken. Mercy. That God isn't blind to our transgressions. God isn't blind to the ways that we fail. Uh, that there. There are consequences at times. But that, that God's mercy creates a plan uh, for full redemption, for full restoration. So if we are people who love mercy, we're people who are transformed by that interaction of receiving the mercy of God. And if we're transformed by the interaction of receiving the mercy of God, knowing that God's brought us restoration, brought us good things, brought us into belonging and becoming this place of of fellowship and eternal life, uh, that mercy is to be imitated. But walking with this God is to be merciful people, to find ways for restoration out of brokenness to work and to hunger for goodness to come where brokenness reigns. To look uh, not simply at who deserves our help, but to look to help. To look to join with God's compassion on human dignity and relentless pursuit of restoration and goodness. My hope uh, is that we can taste and see that God is good. My hope is that when we think about the way that God's created us, the way that God's created justice, the way that God's merciful to us, that we taste and see that God's good. That's the hope of Micah. That somehow, uh, that God's shown us what's good. And that somehow, in showing us what's good, God can transform us in a way that that the brokenness of the world gets subverted. Uh, That the things around us in our culture and in our lives start to unlock to the kingdom of God, all through the power of Jesus, who died our death so that we can live his life eternally.
I watched the, the movie Just Mercy just a couple nights ago. Um, there's this illustration uh, where Brian Stevenson um, is, uh, is going into a place with deep injustice in the criminal justice system and advocating uh, for prisoners that are on death row. Another way of interpreting that word misfought is, uh, or that it's used a lot in scripture, is actually advocating at the city gates where the decisions are made. When, when the, poor, the rich are about to get away with stealing land from the poor through some legal transaction, to stand up and to advocate, say, that's not right, we can't do that. To use the voice that we have. Uh, and, and, and the movie Just Mercy is this great... Um, it was a great reminder and example to me of the power of a voice of justice um, and also of the ongoing reality of injustice in our world. Um, that Sometimes we look back at scripture and we think, oh man, Israel was so messed up. I can't believe that the rich would just like scalp the poor, right? That couldn't possibly be happening for us. But it's happening over and over again. Uh, and as people called to walk humbly with God, I think one of the things we're called to is walk closer and more deeply in the places where we might encounter that injustice and to speak into that. To walk humbly with God, we need to interpret Scripture in our context today. And as much as God called out the powerful Israel for land grabs of the poor. What's God's word to us here at West Hills as we worship on land stolen from tribes uh, who lived here in the past? What does that look like when it comes close? Do we walk in that awareness? And what does justice look like? Are we people that have that love for justice that we can imagine what restoration could look like uh, in a place where there's so much stolen land. What's God's word to us as West Hills who live in a nation uh, that's built so much of its wealth and power on the backs of stolen, lab stolen labor and bodies through slavery? What's God's word to us at West Hills, as we live in a society where our overconsumption continues to damage the land that God's entrusted us with, where that creates barriers for future generations. See, the kind of worship, the kind of idolatry that, that God was speaking against uh, to the audience of Micah and to us is the what's in it for me spirituality. I'm just going to take what I can get. And whatever I can get, maybe legally, maybe not legally, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make that happen so that I have everything that I need now. Um, but Scripture calls us to look for the common good, to build up a society that, that embodies God's principles. What does that look like? What is justice... What does doing justice and what does loving mercy look like in our church and community? And I think we can think of lots of ways that we are started and engaged in this work. We're started in the work of, of feeding those who don't have access to food through partnership with Southwest Hope and Neighborhood House. 
uh, we're on our way to, to providing safe places um, for, for teens that are um, at high risk of being trafficked, um, falling into human trafficking uh, through the work of Adorned in Grace. But there's, there's all kinds of opportunities, and there's so much more that we can get involved in and do. What is, what is God's word? I forgot one. What is God's word uh, to our housing crisis in Portland as we drive through our city uh, seeing tents on the side of the road? What's God's word to that? What's justice to that? And what's West Hills' place in that? Um, I'm excited that God's calling us into loving justice, uh, loving mercy and doing justice. These are values that God's put in Scripture uh, for all time, for all people, and God is really honing us in as a church on what does that look like here. And we're at the beginning of, uh, well, we're, at, we're continuing in some great work that's already happened, but we're at this moment of opportunity to really vision that together, uh, to see what our work together as a church looks like that continues to live in to walking with God by loving mercy and by doing justice. I'm going to have... Um